Today's reading can be found on page 1042, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thank you very much, Andrea. Good morning, everyone. It's really good to be together. Do keep uh, Luke chapter 11 open in your Bibles as we look at it. And as we do so, let's ask for God's help. Let's pray. Father, we depend on you as we come to your word. We pray that you would show yourself to us in the truths of what is written here. Uh, and Lord, please, would these words cause us to depend on you more. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. National anthems of different countries are usually corporate songs, aren't they? They are songs that are sung together as a people. So they use language like we and us and are, like God save our gracious queen. And lots of nations' anthems contain lyrics about the nation in question. Maybe something about what it's like, what its history has been, how great it is, what the nation aspires to be like maybe in the future. So different national anthems are called things like the fatherland or the motherland, our homeland, the beloved country. Now as Christians we do a lot of singing together, but we don't have one song, one national anthem that unites us. And that's good because we are a people drawn from every tribe and nation and language and culture. We belong to a kingdom that transcends all these things. Our mission is to make disciples of all nations. But we do have something that marks us out together as followers of Jesus, that unites us in our cause, that reminds us of our purpose, that trains us in the posture we're to adopt as we follow our Savior Jesus through suffering to glory. And that thing is prayer. Yes, you guessed it. Last week we saw Mary model for us 
the better portion, the better choice at the end of chapter 10. So in contrast to Martha being worried about many things, even many good things, we saw Mary show us the better choice of listening to Jesus. That is to be the priority for those who follow him, listening to Jesus. And almost today's passage comes as a pair with that one. We have our passage today. Listening to Jesus' word goes hand in hand with responding to those words in prayer. So disciples of Jesus will make a priority of listening to Jesus, and they will also be determined to respond to his words in prayer as they show their dependence on God. Here's a sentence that tries to express the big idea of our our passage. Um, It says this, Disciples pray big prayers to the Father asking with boldness, being confident in God's goodness. Disciples pray big prayers to the Father, asking with boldness, being confident in God's goodness. We're going to break that sentence down and use it as a guide through these verses. Firstly, let's think about that top line. Disciples pray big prayers to the Father. See there in verse 1, as Jesus finishes praying, one of his disciples comes to him and says, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. It seems that John the Baptist's disciples obviously had a way of praying together that he taught them, something that they did that marked them out as being John's disciples, maybe the the way they prayed, the things they prayed for. Uh, The same would be true if we went back further in the Bible story with uh, the Jewish nation and their leaders. So the question is, how should followers of Jesus pray? What does prayer look like for disciples of Jesus? And Jesus gives his answer with the words of this famous prayer and then with two illustrations about what it's like to pray to God. And as much as we know these things as the Lord's Prayer, in fact, these things are the disciples' prayer. They are prayers, yes, that Jesus modeled, but these things are to be the prayers of all who follow him. Uh, So when you think Lord's Prayer, think Disciples' Prayer. And immediately in the opening word of the prayer, we sense something of the privilege that disciples of Jesus have. We can approach God and call him Father. Verse 2 there, when you pray, say, Father. What a privilege that is. Only those united to Jesus can call God Father. Only Jesus can do that by right. And it's only in Jesus that we share this amazing privilege to call God our Father, to share a a deep personal relationship with him. That is only possible through what Jesus goes on to do later in Luke's gospel, only possible through his sacrifice on the cross. Only by trusting in Jesus do we have peace with God and access to him as our Father and that privilege of calling him Father. I think this is something we appreciate more and more as we pray, not just on our own, but together as God's people. The disciple in verse 1 says, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds with a a plural you in verse 2. When you, plural, pray, say, Father. So if you're ever struggling to pray as a Christian, and let's face it, who doesn't struggle to pray as a Christian? then praying with other believers is highly recommended. In fact, it seems to be the default 
position for prayer that Jesus presumes here. Teach us to pray. When you, all of you, when you pray, say, Father. Coming together to pray helps us to truly believe and appreciate that God really is our Father. We pray alongside brothers and sisters who share the same goals and priorities in prayer together. So yes, let's, let's pray as Christians on our own, but let's also prioritize praying together as the people of God. Jesus' teaching here is given to the group who are following him. Disciples pray to the Father. And in terms of what we pray for, the content of our prayers, well, they're big prayers. Disciples are to pray big prayers to the Father. These things in verse, verses 2 to 4 here that Jesus teaches, they're the big things that disciples of Jesus should be praying for. These are the subjects we are to be returning to again and again in our prayers. They're the, the markers of true Christian prayer. If somebody was to look at Christchurch Banstead and stand in the corner for six months uh, and make a list of all the things we pray for, then these are the things that should come to the fore. These are the things that should be present more often than not. We may well from time to time want to pray for other things, but those other things find their proper place under these big priorities. So we might want to pray for Aunt Ethel as she deals with her poorly cat, or pray that we would have sunshine for the church picnic, or pray that you or I might pass a particular exam that we've got. But Jesus clearly teaches here that in prayer, we're to seek first the kingdom of God, pray big prayers about God's kingdom. Uh, and then these other requests will, will fall into line with those bigger things. And we'll understand better how to pray for those other things in the light of prioritizing these big things in prayer. So let's pray big prayers, first of all, about God's place in his kingdom. Looking at verse 2 there, about God's place. That's the theme here. These are prayers, uh, notice in verse 2, where we focus on God's place in his kingdom. It's where we use the word your as we prioritize God and his place in our prayers. We begin with God. We begin with him, and rightly so. Prayer is only possible because of God's grace to us. Prayer only finds its proper place in reference to God and his kingdom. And so we begin with him and we pray, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is an old-fashioned word. Uh, it only really survives in the Lord's Prayer and when talking about the hallowed turf at Wembley Stadium. But it means to set something apart, to hold it in special reverence. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying that God's name might be revered and honoured. We're acknowledging that there is nobody like God. He is unique. No one possesses the authority that he does. And as such, those praying this prayer are praying that God would be honoured, his name would be glorified. First of all, in, in our lives as those who are praying this prayer, but also wider in, in the rest of the world around us. And flowing out from that, the next line prays for God's kingdom to come. Your kingdom come, it says. So the disciples are to live the whole of their lives with reference to God's kingdom. 
to what God will ultimately do in the end. When King Jesus returns, God will bring the fullness of his kingdom once and for all. He's going to banish all sin and injustice and chaos and pain and suffering. And he's going to bring in and establish his his perfect good reign of righteousness. And as disciples of Jesus, we long for that day. We pray for it to come. So this prayer, your kingdom come, has has a future aspect to it. But it's also a prayer that can be answered and is answered in the present. Because to pray for God's kingdom to come is to pray for the rule of Jesus the King to be expressed, to be known, to be submitted to. And this happens in in the hearts of individual people as men, women, and children are saved by Jesus and submit their lives to his loving rule as his kingdom comes in the hearts of such people. So to pray for God's kingdom to come includes praying for our evangelism, our sharing this good news with others, that as people hear about Jesus, their hearts might be open to receive him and bow before him in worship. It's a prayer for growth as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, that we would keep submitting to Jesus as king, that we would grow in the way we honor him in every area of our life. So ahead of our own desires, let's be praying big prayers about God's place in his kingdom, revering his name, praying for the advance of his kingdom in the hearts of people, even in our hearts, and for this kingdom to one day arrive in the fullness that he has promised. So we pray about God's place in his kingdom, but secondly, we also pray about our place in God's kingdom, looking at verses three and four now. Let's pray to about our place in God's kingdom. So here that the pronouns shift, we've prayed for your, for God, and now the prayers shift to praying for our, for asking for things that, that we need, for our needs. So we see the order here, don't we? As we put God first in prayer, that, that leads us to ask him for things, make requests of him that are appropriate for his people. They fit what we need as followers of Jesus. They are right things to be praying for. They're what God wants to give us most of all. And these requests begin with the line, give us each day our daily bread. We acknowledge here by praying these words that as followers of Jesus, we do and we need to depend on God daily for our every need, physical and especially spiritual. The fact that this is a a daily prayer is interesting. Give us each day our daily bread. Praying this prayer is an act of trust, of faith in God. It's based on what we know about God. It's a reminder as we pray these things that in God's kingdom, he is always present all the time with his people. He is always going to care for us daily. We don't need to stock up on God's provisions in case one day we look and the shelves are empty. We don't need to worry if God's going to take a holiday from being God for a few months. No, he won't. He's never too busy dealing with somebody else's needs. He is the one who has all authority, all power, and he is with all of his people daily. We can depend on him daily. 
back in the days of the Exodus with Moses following God's rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt, the Lord God provided bread. He provided manna. When did he do that? He did it each day, just when the people needed it, in the wilderness. This was a a daily thing, a reminder that God not only had, had rescued his people, he'd saved them from their slavery, but that each day he was going to give them just what they need till they made it to the promised land. He would provide everything for them, give us each day our daily bread. And so today, as followers of King Jesus, when we pray this prayer, we're trusting God to provide everything we need each day to sustain us in our walk with Christ until we reach our destination, until we finish our journey and we arrive in the fullness of God's kingdom that is coming. We pray, give us each day our daily bread. And we also pray, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This particular line is a recognition, isn't it, that we live in a world that is broken, that is fallen, that has turned its back on its creator, a world that is far from perfect. Uh, and rather being part of the answer, we, we by nature are part of the problem. We contribute to this imperfection. And so rather than pointing the finger at others in our prayers, disciples of Jesus come humbly to God knowing that they need forgiveness. And by praying this line, we remind ourselves as we pray it, we remind one another as we pray it together that we're only here, we're only in God's kingdom by God's grace. We don't deserve this access to him as father. We've rebelled against him, we've sinned against him in all sorts of ways. And acknowledging that and praying about that, confessing that to God makes us willing to forgive others because we realize how much God has forgiven us. The final request in this prayer is for spiritual protection along the path of being a disciple of Jesus. We pray, lead us not into temptation. We can get a little bit confused by this request sometimes. Are we saying that God can lead his people into temptation? Are we trying to twist his arm to get him not to do that? What's going on here? Well, we know from elsewhere in the Bible that God is never responsible for sin, nor any temptation of people. God does not tempt anyone. But rather, this request is a way, another way in which we depend on God as followers of Jesus. We recognize that it's God who has the power to protect us, to keep us from giving into temptation, not because he wants to take us there, but because only he has the power to prevent temptation giving birth to sin in us. And so in our spiritual battle against the world, the flesh and the devil and the the sin that it seeks to uh, influence in our lives and get us to succumb to, on this battleground we need to depend on God completely. We are powerless to resist sin without his help. We need to follow his lead, embrace the the provision, the protection that he provides. So this model prayer encourages us to pray big prayers, first of all concerning God's place in his kingdom, and then about our needs as followers of Jesus in his kingdom. We are to desire God's agenda above 
our own. And then all the rest of our prayers find their proper place within this framework. I wonder, what do you feel today that you most need to pray about or that you most want to pray about? What's on your heart today that you really feel you'd like to talk to God about? Well, how will this prayer, how will the disciples' prayer help you in praying for that thing? So to use my somewhat random examples from earlier, we could pray for Ethel as she cares for her sick cat, but we could pray, Lord, please give her what she needs each day to keep following Jesus as she bears that extra burden. We could ask for good weather for the church picnic, but we could pray, Lord, not because we deserve it, but because you are merciful. We pray that good weather would mean we'd have a good time together, encouraging one another to keep following Jesus. We pray that the picnic would give us good opportunities to talk to people who don't know Jesus yet and share about you with them. And we might want to pray about that exam that's coming up. But we could pray in the light of this prayer, Lord, help me in this exam that's coming up. Help me to remember that you deserve all the glory, whatever the outcome. Forgive me when I hold too tightly to the outcome of this exam and prioritize this career ahead of you. Thank you that you will use whatever happens to bring me safely to your heavenly kingdom. Amen. Disciples pray big prayers to the Father. And to give us even more encouragement to pray, Jesus then gives us two illustrations. Uh, The first of these reminds us that we can and we should ask God for these things with boldness. We pray big prayers to the Father, asking with boldness, looking at this first illustration in verses 5 to 10. Now, do you remember Martha from last week, if you were here? She felt a strong sense of her cultural obligation to feed Jesus and all his disciples when they all showed up at her house. And that same obligation would be in play here in the story that Jesus tells in verses 5 to 10. So it might not be as outrageous a request as we first think to ask for some bread at midnight, but even so, even in that culture, it was a pretty bold move to knock on the door of a family at midnight, a family who most probably all slept in the same room together, and to ask for three loaves of bread. Can you imagine being in a similar situation at midnight? You've got guests arrived late, and uh, you put your dressing gown and slippers on, and you go around to your neighbor's door, and you get there, and you lift your fist to knock, and then you think, no, I better not. There's lots that's working against this request happening, isn't there? But eventually, as, as this friend boldly asks his friend for help, the friend will answer, driven more by his shameless audacity than anything else. It's a bold ask, but the bold asker is answered, and they are provided for. And the lesson for us is that nothing should stop these prayers that we've talked about earlier, the prayers that we bring to God, nothing should stop our requests being set before God. We shouldn't think about praying and then get to the door and think, oh, no, better, better not. Maybe God just wants me to sort this out on my own. No, come to God with, with boldness. Unlike the neighbor, God is ready. He's willing. He's, he's waiting to respond to us. 
yes, what, what the response will be will be his choice for our good, but the door is open to ask. So we should, as disciples, ask, seek, and knock, as it says there in verses 9 and 10, knowing that our Father delights to give, reveal, and welcome. So let's pray the prayers in verses 2 to 4 with great boldness for God's kingdom to come, for his name to be hallowed, for our daily needs, for the forgiveness of our sins, for spiritual protection. We can ask with boldness. And lastly, we can also ask being confident in God's goodness, being confident in God's goodness. Uh, Once again, in this last paragraph here, the focus is on the glorious truth that for Christians, God is our Father. And again, his character as Father comes to the fore again here. So our, our understanding of God's character is going to have an effect on our prayer life. If we truly believe God to be a good, loving Father that wants to give us just what we need, then we will come to him regularly. We will ask him for the important things. If we don't believe God is like that, then we're going to be reluctant to come to prayer and to come to him like that. Well, there's good news. We're clearly told in these verses and the rest of the Bible that God is good all the time, and he knows how to give good gifts. And so in in this last illustration here, we have requests from children to their father. Uh, They're asking for what feels like daily staple things, a fish, an egg, These are not outlandish, selfish requests, but they're a bit more like the the daily bread that we read of earlier. And so if ordinary, even evil human fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will our good Father in heaven perfectly supply all the needs of his children? See, the thing that really spurs us on to pray, the thing that makes us want to pray when we're reluctant or apprehensive is God's character, who he is. God's character is the source of our confidence in prayer. As we ask for these things, as we pray big prayers, we can only do so not showing up and demanding that God listen to us because of all the things that we've done or the particular achievements we've made this week. No, none of that counts. We can't point to any of these things as our confidence in prayer. But at the same time, we don't have to worry if we've done enough to merit what we're asking God for. Because we haven't. But God is good. He is a good Father. He is gracious. And the proof of all this is found when we look where Jesus is heading on this journey with his disciples. He's going to the cross to die in the place of sinners. Here, as he does that, we see God's undeserved kindness and his love to sinners. As Jesus dies, the righteous for the unrighteous, all who have sinned and fallen short of God's glory can find forgiveness and peace with God and a permanent adoption into God's family. And this salvation, the unmerited gift of God's grace, this is what spurs us on in prayer. Uh, The author Ron Dunn writes in his book on prayer, 
The floor of the throne room is sprinkled, not with the sweat of my good works, but with the blood of Christ's sacrifice. So our prayers get a hearing in heaven, not because we've sweated our religious guts out to be accepted by God, but because Christ has shed his blood for us to forgive us. And so we have a hearing before our good Father. As Romans 8 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God is a good Father who gives good gifts. If you're here this morning and you you don't recognize that in God, when you think God, you don't think goodness. Maybe you're thinking about Christian things, you're wondering what you do believe, and when you picture God, maybe you picture a being that is, well, you can't quite, not quite sure if they are good or not. Maybe you picture a a heavenly headmaster, a bit distant, somebody who doesn't really know you that well or know what you need. If that's you, let me encourage you to look to the cross of Jesus. Here's where we see the love and goodness of God displayed. Here's where we see God's character fully revealed. So if you want to know God as your father and be able to pray to him and know your purpose in life as part of his kingdom, to know his kind provision, ultimately the forgiveness of all your sin, if you want to know those things, then come to Jesus. Trust in his death in your place on that cross. Receive the undeserved goodness of the Father, eternal life in his Son. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I wonder what you feel about that conclusion to Jesus' teaching on prayer here. Why is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit all of a sudden? Is it like when you were a child at Christmas or your birthday was coming around and you You made a list and you were very specific on your list of all the things you wanted as gifts, as presents, and then you had a well-meaning relative that just ignored all that and said, don't worry, I've got something that you'll really need, and your heart sinks, thinking, why didn't you just get me what I asked for? Well, it turns out that our good Father in heaven does know what we really need. And the answer to all the prayers of verses 2, 3, and 4 only comes through the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, who is poured out on followers of Jesus. It turns out that God, the Holy Spirit, is the answer to these prayers. Let me explain. So our God wants to bring about the honoring of his name. We're praying for that, aren't we? Hallowed be your name. He wants to answer prayers for his kingdom to come, now in people's hearts and in the future in glory. He longs to provide all his children's needs, physical, yes, especially spiritual needs. He's providing the forgiveness of sins, but to pray for those things, the power to stand firm in temptation. How does he give us all these things? Well, he gives them through the finished work of his son, Jesus, and through the the Spirit being poured out. And so he has given us and will give us, as we ask, these things in the power of his Spirit. We pray to a good Father, through the finished work of the Son. And in the Holy Spirit, we have all the resources that we need for the journey. So as disciples of Jesus in the kingdom of God, this is our heartbeat, this is our anthem, this is our 
Father. So shall we um, pray our prayer together uh, as we close? Let's just read these words. I know they're maybe slightly different from versions you, you know by heart, but let's just read um, verses 2 to 4 together and, and finish with a simple Amen. So he said to them, when you pray, say together, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Amen. We're going to sing shortly as, as the band join us. Um, the third verse of this song uh, picks up some of this posture in prayer. It says, there may be anxious times ahead. We will fear the Lord. We'll look to him for daily bread. We will fear the Lord.